Welcome to the Goals Podcast, the business case for women's sports, where we explore every corner of the women's sports industry from the field to the front office. I'm Caroline Fitzgerald, and I'm here to prove that it's good business to be in the business of women's sports. Today's episode is brought to you by Ally, a change maker in women's sports, steadfast in their commitment to the fight for media equity, because we're all better off with an ally. Our guest today is Jackie McWilliams Parker, the commissioner of the Central Intercollegiate Athletic Association. Welcome to the show, Jackie. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Commissioner, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. It's truly an honor to have you as a guest. You have been at the forefront of women's sports for decades now. So let me just start today by saying a big thank you for your work and advocacy on behalf of women in sports. It's been an honor um, to do the work that I love to do as a former student athlete and to advocate, you know, in the world of sports and to work for the conference that historically has been at the forefront of um, providing opportunities and access for education. And so I'm grateful. So thank you. Thank you for that acknowledgement. I'd love to start kind of at the beginning here. I'd love if you could, if you could take us through your incredible personal and professional journey through sports that have ultimately led you to now leading the CIAA. Yeah, you know, it's, um. so I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I've been whipping out in this this uh, winter weather everywhere else, um, and it feels chilly here, but I'm from Colorado Springs, Colorado. That's where I was born, um, a military child that had the opportunity to travel with my parents in Germany. We lived in California, but my family are Southerners. They're from uh, Mississippi, um, where I spent most of my summers, and so you know, I think just the hard work ethics of my family, my dad being in the military and um, and my mother always keeping me active for t- in anything. I, I tell people like I did, gym- I was a gymnast. I thought I would be the next Olympic gymnast. Um, I was a b- uh, baton twirler. I thought I'd be an Olympic baton twirler even when they didn't have Olympic baton twirler. I love roller skating. I just love being active. And I, I really commend my mom for, you know, as much as we moved around, just trying to find ways to to make me engage. I remember bowling at five years old and my ball went into the gutter and just weeping that, you know, that my ball was in the gutter because I think I've always been a competitor of heart. And so sports has been the the avenue for me as a little girl. I was the only child for nine years before my sister. So the the an only child moving all over the place with my parents and always trying to feel somewhere connected. And athletics is the place that connected me wherever we went. And so, you know, I played basketball, volleyball, ran track in high school. And I graduated in Colorado Springs um, after all of our moves. That was a landing spot and decided to go to Hampton University. Um, never knew where the campus was. I just heard it was by the water. Heard they had a great team. This is before Internet and you know, the whole web looking. I mean, I actually had to go to the library and look up where Hampton University was on the map. Um, And I remember my my mentor, who was my godmother as well, was the vice principal of my high school, really um, encouraged me to go to a historically Black college and university, which that's what I wanted to do. Um, But I didn't know where they all were located outside of the Jackson States and the Southern, the SWAT community, as they would say, where all my family is from. 
But when she told me about Hampton and looked them up and saw that their basketball team was like number one, didn't even know they were division two. I just knew that I wanted the opportunity to play. So I walked on Hampton University women's basketball team and we won the national championship in 1988, my first year as a freshman. And I earned a scholarship after that um, and finished my, my athletic career at Hampton. And I was a two sport athlete too, when it was popular to play more than one sport. And, um, and we won conference championships. So this place, um, CIAA, is kind of the roots of my athletic career um, and how I've used that experience to move me along all the other steps of my career. I worked at Virginia Union. I was a coach there, volleyball, assistant basketball. I coached with the men's program for a little bit my last year. Ben Wallace was playing there. So, you know, when I see him, I'm like, he calls me coach still. So that's kind of funny to me. Um, you know, this gentle giant of a person um, who has done tremendous in the NBA. Um, and he was one of our players, one of my players, um, and worked in the conference before, did compliance and governance and championships, worked at Norfolk State and Morgan State. But ultimately, you know, all that prepared me to go to the NCAA. And Caroline, I worked there for nine years, nine and a half years in championships. I had sports. And this is what I tell people, like, don't ever underestimate what you can and cannot do. Um, even then, I, even though I didn't fence, I never knew much about fencing. That was one of my championships. I had rowing, I had gymnastics, division two golf, division three golf. So I was really embedded in managing events, but really learning about the differences of people. I think the military, being a military brat helped me with that as well when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but also being a woman of color and how to embed myself in spaces that are not normally where we are embedded. And I had the opportunity to work with women's basketball, the women's final four that we watch in March Madness every year as a leader of that space. And then I was asked to come over to the men's basketball space and did something very different that I have done in in athletics, meaning that I was working mostly with our corporate partners in community engagement, working with the cities, with community. So I was kind of the voice in the, the face of Men's Final Four to support all the community things and leaving an impact in the community and hotel. So that landed me here in this position. So, you know, after 20 something years of working in those spaces and then now 11 years here, I really attest my time from the start at Virginia Union, getting that opportunity, what happened in between, but working at the national office and learning how to run large events and being in the spaces of conversations as a woman, you know, in the ta at the table, sometimes being the only woman or sometimes being the only Black woman um, to be in those spaces to prepare me to be a commissioner of a conference that truly has the heart and soul of college athletics. Absolutely. And what a journey you've had. Yeah. 11 years now, you're the commissioner of the CIAA. And it's quite a moment right now for women's collegiate sports in particular. We know fandom is growing, investment is growing from brands and donors. So as you sit in this role leading the CIAA, what is it about the women's college sports landscape that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, I'm excited that there is more attention um, to what's happening in women's sports. I mean, soccer has always been that conversation and those women are have been true advocates to fight what is right. And, um, you know, but when you think about gymnastics and some of the things that have happened not so well on how they've been treated, but they still were advocates and led in the anti-harassment conversations that we needed to have. 
Um, when you go to women's basketball, um, you're seeing the growth and the things that they did during COVID um, that gave such a great um, visibility to not just the game, but to them as women and mothers and leaders in their communities. I think sport has been for us you know, sometimes we're the last to be thought about, but we're always the first to come through. And so when there's a need, <laughs> when things are happening in social change or when there's a need of advocacy, women in sport and outside of sports politically have always been in the forefront of that. So I'm excited that we have not stopped fighting um, to have equitable opportunities. It doesn't have to be the same but give us access and give us opportunities so that we can succeed and be just as successful as our men counterpoints. I don't care if that's salary, I don't care if that's equipment needs, food, travel, whatever that is. Um, we want the opportunity to compete and play. The difference is our gender makes us different, but how we play the game, it might be a little bit different, but our love of it is not is not different. And so I'm excited to see that there is more marketing efforts. There's more of our women being seen on our commercials. There's more women being seen in our commentating space. There's more women like you having the opportunity to tell the stories that in oftentimes we haven't had that space to do that. What a great answer. I particularly love what you said about how we're the last to be thought of, but the first to come through, because that is so true time and time again. Yeah. Women in sports deliver. Imagine what would happen if we you do. thought of us first. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we truly, um, you know, and again, the heart and soul of women, we're, we're just natural nurturers. I don't care where you come from. That's just what we do. We're natural caretakers and we're natural fixers and we're natural in doing multitasking. I mean, those are things that we're really good at um, and have been required to do so. And when you get us in these fields of sports and you see the leadership across across corporate and some of our organizations, nonprofit to profit, I mean, we are making change and we are we are creating spaces where other women and other leaders can be in that space as well. I think when we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think women do it pretty well because we're often the ones who are not included. So I think we have a responsibility to make sure that we're in the forefront of creating spaces where success can happen, um, whether it's budget-wise, whether it's sitting on boards, whatever it is, if we're in that space, we have a responsibility to make sure that we bring others along. Commissioner, we know that there has been a lot of progress to date when it comes to gender equity, but there's still a lot more work that needs to be done on behalf of women athletes. So what do you think are some of the biggest things that need to happen to change to create true gender equality in sports? Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it all comes down to leadership. I mean, who's making the decisions around equality and access and opportunities? Who's hiring who? I mean, I think, um, you know, we're in 50 years, 51 years, almost 52 years of Title IX celebration. And I'm still like, you know, in my conference, we are, I think we just celebrated our 48th volleyball tournament. So we're not even in the 50s yet, you know? And when we're thinking about how to highlight the women um, that have been trailblazers over the time in the industry. We're still only talking about 50 years of having the access and opportunity. And some of that, again, I think the leadership and folks who have power to make legislation, to put protections around the Title IX and the Title VII and all those things that are important to equality, 
it's necessary that those who have the power, and a lot of times this is our white male counterparts, that they're in those conversations and advocating for women like you and myself when we're not in the spaces. And I think that's most important that those who have the ability to advocate and make those decisions, that they have the courage and use their power to do so. And when they don't, then it takes us longer to get to 60 years and 100 years and to make improvements. I want my daughter and all every little boy in the world and every little girl in the world to not have to fight some of the battles that we continue to fight or are still, yeah, continue to fight and will have to fight forever, probably. But I hope that their fight is a little bit different than what mine has been in the ones who came before me. And it comes down to leadership. Talking about leadership and decision makers takes me right into my next question for you. Earlier this year, I had the pleasure of listening to you speak on a panel for Front Office Sports that was the future of sports equity. And you said something that I think about all the time, to be very honest with you. You said, at what point will decision makers see that it's a value proposition to pay women athletes? Powerful words, Jackie. Can you talk more about the meaning behind that statement? Yeah, you know, we're always talking about, you know, the the bottom line. I mean, everybody's looking at their bottom line. Um, and sometimes we hire based on what we think the bottom line is going to look. Sometimes we choose partners based on what, you know, we believe, what is it in for me? And I believe, again, um, when you pay, when you create pay equity, and again, if I'm doing the same job that you're doing and we've been in the same time, like, why do I have to, to fight to get the same if I'm doing more? And some of that, again, again, to me, starts with leadership, understanding and valuing the people and the and seeing women as an asset and not a threat. Because we're not a threat. We, we, we are here to help make your jobs better. We're here to create and build culture and to deliver and help your bottom line better. And sometimes I think as leaders, you know, we operate in a silo of what we're used to doing and we have to break those silos. So I definitely think, you know, decision makers have to see the value proposition of hiring women and paying them at the rate that we would pay for the position and what they're doing. Stop looking at us as women. See us as the deliverers and those who are capable of doing the job. And if we get stop getting caught up in that then maybe there would be better pay equity. But I think sometimes we get caught up with the person and not necessarily the position and what that person is bringing to the position to help deliver within that organization. And so there's work to be done there, but I think we have to call it out, Caroline, when it happens. And we've got to hold people accountable when they have the the position and the power. I'm very, um, you know, as a leader and because I understand and value what that proposition is, I'm very strategic about how we hire and how we um, strategically play. We're division two. We're very different than most division twos based on our revenue, um, based how we operate and manage. And so, you know, there's a lot of times I'm I'm hiring folks that could work at division one, two, or three. Like I want qualified people, but the only way you keep them is giving them competitive salaries and room to grow within your organization, no matter what level they're at. Absolutely. Commissioner, for my next question, I'm wondering if you might be willing to share some advice with our listeners. You have broken through multiple glass ceilings in your lifetime. You're the first female to serve as the commissioner for the CIAA. 
You were the first appointed African-American female commissioner representing NCAA Division One, Two, and Three. We have a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are looking to break into sports. And that's a space that we know has historically been built by men, primarily white men, for other men. So what advice would you give to those who are trying to make their way in this industry? That's a great question. Um, Let me put it in this terms. Um, You know, I consider myself not any longer, but a former athlete that trained to win um, and to do all the things that I needed to do in order to help my team win. So whether I ran track and how I prepared myself or whether I played on a basketball, volleyball team, what I did individually to help the collective order. Um, and so to, to that proposition that we're talking about and putting ourselves in the position, even when people don't want you to be in that position and to have the courage um, to still go for it, even when people say that you can't, you're going to be knocked down. Um, and as a woman of color, you know, my I remember my board asking me why uh, why should we hire you as a position for the commissioner? That was my dream job. It was my dream job. When I went to the NCAA, I remember my direct report asked me, um, or my vice president asked me, what did I want to be when you grow up? And I said, the commissioner of the CIAA. I want to be prepared for that opportunity if it ever comes. And it may never come, but I want all the things that I can do to be prepared for that. And when I said that, I had an advocate. You've got to find people who want to invest in you and that want to advocate for you and not afraid that um, their preparation for you is going to cause you to leave. Everyone that walks in this office here has to see themselves as the next commissioner. That way they can play the part. I was taught that by my first athletic director. I didn't want to be an AD, um, but he said, you're going to be the next AD. And I was like, I do not want to be an athletic director. But because he put that seed in me, it helped me think differently about how I walked into a room, how I prepared for meetings, what I, how I spoke, how I navigated you know, conflict. And I was young. I was 23 when I started in the industry. And so I think my my advice would be as you if you were a former athlete or not, how did you prepare for every game? How did you prepare to get on the field? How did you prepare to speak to your team? If you were a coach, how do you prepare? You watch film. You learn from other industry makers. You go to conferences. If you're a commissioner, you never stop learning. I mean, they're, they're, you never stop learning from other people around you. So you can't be afraid to ask questions. You can't be afraid to try. Um, and I was saying, you know, my, my presidents asked me, why did I think I should be a commissioner? And I gave them three things. And it's simple. It came from a girls organization, Girls Inc., that my daughter was in. And Simone said to me, Mommy, are you nervous about the job? She was seven. And I was like, absolutely. And she said, don't be, she said, don't worry. You're smart, you're strong, and you're bold. And I took that as I blew up my whole entire presentation to remind them that I'm extremely smart. No matter what anybody says, I've done the education, I've done the practitioner work, I understand what this job entails, and I'm prepared. Um, I'm strong. I've gone through every ism possible. 
um, every ism possible. But with that, the resiliency of understanding my capabilities and having the faith that I have. I'm a, I'm a woman of faith, a God. So I understand that my direction and path is not my own and that he is leading me somewhere greater and that all those experiences have created me to be in a space where I don't do those things that happen to me. Right. And, um, you know, smart, bold and bold. I will advocate. I will advocate for you, Caroline. I would advocate for anybody that I that believes in the right things. And, you know, I'm in a position of advocacy now. But the most thing is that I'm an advocate for myself. And if you don't learn how to speak up and advocate for yourself, it will be very hard to navigate being first of anything, sitting in a room by yourself, being the only one, being told no, you know, they listen to them and you said the same thing, but they said said it better. You know, you're, you're going to deal with those things. But for me, as I heard in a devotion this morning, you're going to have your your haters, you know, and you're going to have those who celebrate you. You're going to have those who are going to be challenging you constantly. But if anything, those things are going to help you be a better person. And if you look at the opportunities that it's going to help you grow, even if you have to answer the phones every day, we have our graduate assistant and I'm like, what is the worst thing that you hate right now about this position? And he's like, oh, I answering these phones with the ticket people, it is going to make him a better person. And he doesn't even know. He doesn't even know quite yet what that means. Cause I was a receptionist with a master's degree. So I get it. Um, and so, you know, I think everything that we go through really prepares us to be better individuals. And I hope that whatever anybody who wants to break in the, in the sports industry, know why you want to come in. Sometimes it's not that sexy. It looks good that I'm a commissioner, but you got to know all the things that come behind being a commissioner to sustain in the position. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is just so You're powerful. Welcome. All right, Jackie, I just have one more question for you before we shift and go to our closing questions. And it's, what is your hope for the women's sports space in the next 5, 10, 50 years? Mm, my hope is that we will not be talking about what access opportunity and, you know, proposition for to pay for women athletes. I mean, I hope that, you know, over time that there is really there's value, there's support, there's advocacy in a way that it's not for the things that we've been fighting for year over year, but it's really things to enhance all the things that we're working on to get better, you know, in women's sports and in the industry and in marketing. I want to see more women doing what you're doing. I want to see more women in marketing and promotions. I want to see more women in sales. I mean, I've gone to a sales meeting before to present and I'm like, holy crap, where are all the women? Um, and where are all the women of color? Except me. Like, I want to see that there's growth and there's some diversity um, in the storytelling for our women athletes. And the only way you do that is identify people who look that, that always don't look like you. Um, and whether they're LGBTQ, whether they're, you know, black or brown, whether they're white, it doesn't matter whether they're international, like creating spaces where people can really thrive. And I'm hoping in 50 years from now, you know, I can look back and say, hopefully that I was part of that work um, and conversation that it's not the same conversation. We're really celebrating, you know, all the great things that we've done from this point 50 years from now that have made it better for my daughter and your children and great grandkids and a whole community of folks that want to be in the industry. I love that. 
All right, Commissioner, we're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor, and then we'll be back to close out with our closing questions. As you may know, the goal of this podcast is to show brands, networks, and people in general that it's good business to invest in women's sports. We know that women in sports are incredible and are breaking boundaries and setting records. But did you know they receive less than 10% of all sports media coverage? It's a vicious cycle. The lack of media coverage means fans miss out while networks and sponsors can't see the fan base and don't invest in the media. Now, more than ever, it's time for brands to jump in. That's why our sponsor, Ally, is making big moves to put an end to the cycle and give women's sports the coverage they deserve. This year, Ally is continuing to invest in access for women's sports through sponsorships with ESPN, CBS, and women-owned outlets giving fans more opportunities to watch what they want, where they want. So tune in and be part of the change. To learn more, check out watchtochange.com because we're all better off with an Ally. All right, we're back. I just have a few more questions for you. The first one, if you could wave a magic wand and create equity in one aspect of sports right now, what would it be? Wow, that's a hard question. Um, Wow, if I could wave my wand. And it's a really powerful magic wand. Keep that in mind. (laughs) I know. Bam. Bam, bam, you get to play, you get to play, you get to play, you get to play, you get to play football, you get to play, you get to officiate men's sports, you get to, I mean, I think it's really that there's no, there's no question, regardless if you're a woman or man, that you could be in both spaces. That would be the magic wand, that there would not be a concern of color. It wouldn't be concern of where you're from, it would only be that you're able to bring something very valuable to help grow the space and create the experience that those who are in it deserve. Tremendous answer. All right. Before we get to our last question, is there anything that you'd like to plug or anything additional you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I I would say one thank you for the platform and the opportunity to, to have this conversation. I think you know, it's really important that we have individuals to help tell our stories from diverse backgrounds and spaces. And that, you know, CIAA for me is a place that I've landed, but I've been in other spaces to really grow the work that I'm able to do here in this space to create opportunities for the people that I work with. And so just thank you for giving me the opportunity to be with you today and your listeners. And I'm hoping that we can gain some followers for the CIAA um, come to our tournament in Baltimore. I mean, that's a shame plug, but we do do some amazing work in our conference and send your kids to our CIAA school. You can go to CIAA.org and find out more about us and we're on social media. And so am I at CIAA Commish. You can follow me on all three platforms on that. So just thank you again. And hopefully we can, you know, get more people to understand and value the work that we do at historically Black colleges and universities. Fantastic. And we will make sure we link to your social media and the CIAA's website and accounts all in our show notes so people can really easily follow along. All right. Last question for you. This has flown by today. It's been such a joy talking to you. Can you summarize in a few sentences why you think it's good business to invest in women's sports and women in sports? It's good to invest because we bring a lot of value. Like, it's great to invest in women's sports because we bring more than you even understand what we bring. It's important and it's necessary. 
Um, and I don't even think it should be a topic of um, debate. I just think it should happen. And I think what happens is when you have children and you have a little girl or a little boy, or you're in that spot of education. And I love to see when it happens to men and they start having little girls in their space and how they advocate. Um, because you're going to help change the world when you invest in women's sports. And you're going to give hope to those who may not have anything else but sports in their life. I'm that person. I don't know where I would be. And I always say this to our student athletes and to my staff, athletics saved my life. So you need to invest so that you can save a lot of lives like me um, and give us opportunity to be the best version of ourselves when sometimes we don't have a space to be the best version anywhere else. I almost got teary-eyed on that one, Caroline. Commissioner, so did I. No, thank you. I just can't thank you enough. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing advice and just giving so much of your time and your insights to our listeners. It's just truly an honor. So again, thank you. And I can't wait to follow along and see everything you continue to do for women in sports. Thank you. And if there's anything we can do to help support you as you continue to grow, just let us know. We're here. We're here. Thank you for listening to the Goals Podcast, the business case for women's sports presented by Ally, a change maker in women's sports steadfast in their commitment to the fight for media equity because we're all better off with an ally. To learn more about Goals and our work to bring more brand investment into women's sports, be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram or visit our website at goals-sports.com. And remember, it's simply good business to be in the business of women's sports.